So okay, perfect. All right, so Chris, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our staff. So I'm Megan Cox. I'm the division manager for the program evaluation and research division in the Department of Family, or excuse me, Department of Finance and Budget. And um, with us, we actually have three of our um, colleagues who are very versed in grants to discuss the ARPA tranche two application. We have Christine Powers, who's our ARPA coordinator. She will be uh, walking you through the requirements for the ARPA tranche two application. We have Barb Lawrence, who is our grants coordinator, and she uh, completed the application and monitoring process for tranche one and has been um, one of our subject matter experts for tranche two. We also have Tracy Alperstein, who is our nonprofit grant specialist for uh, the division, um, and she is hosting a series of professional development activities around grants management, prospecting, and um, focus on financial management for grants. So we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the presentation. Uh, and so what we will do is just welcome you and Christine, if you can start sharing your screen and we'll just turn it over to Christine. As I said in the beginning, please list your name and organization in the chat box. If you have questions throughout the presentation, place them in the chat or raise your hand and we will pause periodically to answer questions throughout the presentation. There will also be time for questions at the end. So we'll be monitoring that as well. Thanks. Thank you, Megan. Thank you everyone for joining us today to talk about this grant opportunity. Um, like Megan said, my name is Christine Powers. I am the ARPA coordinator and uh, it is my duty to monitor the ARPA dollars that the county is spending in terms of eligible uses and compliance with the rules and regulations that come along with the um, final rule presented from Treasury. Uh, today we are talking about uh, the funding source, uh, an overview, a little bit of the eligibility criteria specific to this grant program, the funding objectives and funding uh, of these programs, and going over the application with you, and then expectations for reporting and outcomes. A quick history, uh, Treasury is providing us guidance for what is called the State and Local Fiscal Recovery Funds, SLFRF. Um, that is uh, an allocation within the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, we have been awarded those dollars in two payments. One was in June of 2021, uh, and of that we had a grant program and then we just received our second tranche in June of 2022, and that was the final amount of our total award. Uh, in April of this year, our Board of Supervisors made some decisions on how we would be spending this second tranche of funds. Um, we do have to abide by the final rule when it comes to eligible uses, and basically what we have done is made recommendations to the board on how to use these dollars based on our uh, goals that the county has um, feedback from the community and in terms of this tranche two grant program um, there was a lot of feedback from our nonprofit partners um, talking about some of the additional resources needed for our community members um, in terms of emergency assistance and just in the overall recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. 
what the board would like to focus on is um, those emergency programs and also uh, a sustainable program that has evidence of long-term effects to make sure that the recovery is sustained uh, long beyond these ARPA dollars. As a quick overview of the framework that Treasury has given us, uh, Treasury has a very long list of enumerated uses for uh, ARPA funding. Um, they also know that there are, it's a non-exhaustive list, so there are still plenty of need out there that maybe they didn't identify directly in the final rule. What they have given us is a framework of these eligible uses. And it was long as it's falling within this framework, we can be confident that we are using these funds in a manner that Treasury has approved. Um, first of which would be to identify the public health or economic impact of the pandemic, um, either on a specific household or class of household population, that sort of thing. Um, identify disproportionate impacts or more severe impacts to a specific beneficiary or class of beneficiaries. Once that's been identified, we can design a response um, or use an existing method um, to address that and respond to that need. Um, it could be a program, it could be a project or a service. Um, it should be related and reasonably proportional to the harm caused by the pandemic and designed to benefit the impacted individuals or class or beneficiary class. Um, examples of eligible uses, um, just as it relates to this project, um, in terms of mental health, Treasury says we can use that for anything from treatment, harm reduction, long-term recovery, supporting equitable access and reducing the disparities in access to treatment, um, assistance to household, food assistant, rent assistant, utility, that sort of thing. Um, Treasury also acknowledges that severe impacts fell on low income and underserved populations where uh, sometimes pre-existing disparities amplify the impact. So basically they are wanting us to as much as possible, uh, focus our attention on those populations so that their recovery from this pandemic could be just as pronounced and profound and long-term as any. Treasury gives us two terms that I've already mentioned, impacted and disproportionately impacted. Um, with that, they know that pretty much a majority of households have been impacted by the pandemic. They give us a little bit of uh, guidance as far as presumptions to be made. If, if it's a low or moderate income household, if it's a household that experienced unemployment or that experienced any food insecurity or housing insecurity, um, we can presume that there was that impact from the pandemic. A disproportionately impacted household would be low income, um, household in a qualified census tract, households that already qualify for certain federal programs, um, and households that experience other disproportionate ne negative economic impact. Um, sometimes it's not just income that has caused the disproportionate impact. It could be any sort of uh, pre-existing condition, uh, disability, age, race, gender, if it's an underserved community, that sort of thing. There are many factors involved. Um, so when we define our, our target population, that's what we're looking at is those that are disproportionately impacted, those of low income. When we use 
income as a, a guideline for definition, um, we sometimes don't have a full picture of an income situation. What we are allowed to do and what Treasury allows us to do is to make assumptions about that household or individual if we know that they have previously um, been part of certain federal programs like SNAP, WIC, Reduced Lunch, Medicare Part D, SSI, things like that. Um, those are low income. When we are using just an income level, Treasury has given us a tool to help determine that amount based on both the federal poverty guidelines that come from Health and Human Services and our area median income. So in this case, by using a family of three, say for, um, for illustrative purposes, 40% AMI is considered low income. So in Loudoun County, that comes to an annual income of 46,440. The federal poverty guideline is 185% of federal poverty guideline, which is a dollar amount of 70, um, excuse me, 40,626. What Treasury allows us to use is the higher of those two numbers. When we get into moderate income, where we see 65% area median income or 300% federal poverty guidelines, that jumps to an AMI for a family three of 75,465 or 300% of federal poverty guidelines, which is 65,880. Again, using the higher of those two. Um, when we have a situation where we know our household or our individual that we're trying to help, if they are, say, falling into closer to those moderate income levels, um, what we want to see within this grant program is finding those identifying factors that we want to focus on that has caused a disproportionate impact. We really want to focus on the low income population in the county because we know that that's where the need is. Um, but again, if we know that there is a household that is in need of help, maybe they don't meet those low income guidelines, but we should be identifying those other factors that have been involved, those pre-existing disparities or some other confounding factors that have made the impact of the pandemic so severe. Can I pause quickly? Um, we don't have any questions in the chat, but during our our training yesterday, we did have some questions about children in the child welfare system and um, children who or families who may be experiencing homelessness. They would be a part of the impacted households, um, regardless of of any other income factors, especially those who are in the child welfare system or those experiencing um, the foster care system, et cetera. Those would be considered impacted residents and impacted households. So think of the definitions when you think of most vulnerable. We are talking about the most vulnerable populations in Loudoun. Oh, and we do we do have one question. Sorry, Christine. That's okay. we do have one question. Val Walters, if you want to unmute yourself and ask your question. Um, so I, I went through this yesterday. It's oh Val, it's really hard to hear you. Hear me now? No, we we can barely hear you.
So Val, if you can hold your question or put it in the chat. We'll come back to you. Yes, thank you. Unfortunately, she doesn't have the chat function. Um, okay. So Val, if you want to email me your question, um, I can be sure that it gets gets out there. Thank you. Yep. So to go over the state and local fiscal recovery funds as it comes to Loudoun County, um, Loudoun County is seeking to complement its own programs, funding nonprofit organization that have established evidence-based programs that provide both emergency services and resources and partnerships for long-term solutions and a path to a resident's self-sufficiency. Um, we recognize that there uh, have been um, impacts on residents that were more severe than others in this county. And that's like Megan said, is who we want to focus our attention on with these funds. And we want to make sure that not only are we helping them in an emergency situation such as this, but we are uh, looking for long-term transformations, um, looking at the low-income, underserved, other marginalized household. We want to help them identify those root causes we know that by helping them regain financial stability, we may need to address multiple overlapping issues. So we want to see if not only can we identify the factors that have caused the impact of the pandemic, but also those underlying factors that have contributed to the disproportionate impact. So whether that is um, anything from you know, employment, long-term employment, long-term childcare, access to uh, other programming, um, things like that. We've heard some feedback from nonprofits that there were some, a lot of clients that have only now started seeking help through the pandemic, but as it happens, they should have been looking for support long before, that they had qualified for assistance long before the pandemic ever came about. So we want to identify those factors that maybe kept them from seeking that support um, before the pandemic came, were there other factors involved? Was just geography or accessibility through, you know, internet access, things like that. So, if at if at all possible, we want to capture as much of that information as we can and get these residents to supportive programs that can help them in long term um, recovery. When we see um, Emergency services, we've talked about what we want to focus on as far as the kind of short-term emergency services. Um, and then those long-term support programs could come in the form of your own program or even in the form of partnerships with other organizations or other county, uh, county agencies. Um, knowing that there is a huge support system within Loudoun County, we wanna make sure our, uh, our residents know of their of the help that is available to them. You've probably heard me use the word tranche one, tranche two. Um, these are the two buckets of money that have come to the county through the state and local fiscal recovery funds. Um, the US Treasury is who is administering the program of state and local fiscal re recovery funds, even though the American Rescue Plan Act um, was allocated to many different agencies within the federal government. Uh, sometimes directly to the states themselves. Um, this, these are funds that come to state and local governments, um, also tribal governments. Um, tranche one, when we created the award program, 
that was to focus on emergency services as it relates to the nonprofit organization itself. Uh, we recognize that nonprofits probably lost a lot of donors during the pandemic, probably lost a lot of income that they had been counting on, and not only that, saw an increase in need. So to in order to help the nonprofits continue offering the support that they are able to do, Tranche 1 awarded grant funds to nonprofit organizations as a beneficiary of SLFRF funds to provide assistance through those negative economic impacts of the pandemic. This time around in Tranche 2, Loudoun County is seeking to fund the nonprofit organization as a subrecipient. Now, this is a grant award that would be uh, awarded to the nonprofit as a subrecipient and that in order to administer a program that is offering specific direct assistance to residents. Assistance. Um, I'm hearing a voices. Okay. All right. I'll call you in. Um, all right, I'll you. Okay, sorry. Um, so in tranche two, we are looking to provide funding to our nonprofits as a sub award, which means that the nonprofit would be providing a specific assistance um, as a benef uh, as a sub recipient on behalf of Loudoun County and giving that direct assistance to our residents who then are the beneficiaries of these funds. So what that means in those two differences is there's a little bit of uh, difference in reporting requirements when it comes to these funds. Uh, Loudoun County has different reporting requirements based on how these funds are being spent, um, how they are allocated through a subaward rather than direct financial assistance to a beneficiary. So in this case, we want to make sure that uh, the nonprofits understand the difference between how those funds were administered in tranche one and tranche two. Um, what we also have to follow is what is called the uniform guidance. That is a document and guidance that covers the use of all federal dollars in a situation such as this. So we need to make sure that not only are we spending an ineligible use as determined by Treasury for this particular ARPA program, we also need to follow the overall uniform guidance as it pertains to spending of federal dollars just in general. So the uniform guidance indicates that a subaward is distinct from just a standard contract in that a subaward is an award provided by the recipient, Loudoun County, to a subrecipient, in this case a nonprofit, to carry out a part of that federal award on behalf of Loudoun County. So in, in other words, Loudoun County wants to support rental assistance in the community, and we have decided to find a, a nonprofit that can do that for us and make sure to reach those residents that we may not have been able to reach ourselves. So that's what that difference is. Um, it may be a little confusing and we can go over if there's any other questions, but. Uh, just know that it's a little bit different in the reporting style, so we will go over that a little bit further down. And Christine, we do have a question in the yes. chat. Um, this is from Val Walters. If an organization does not specifically focus on low-income families and children, would the shift from um, the original focus to 
um, a focus on low income be considered a new project? Uh, not necessarily um, as far as your organization's um, means of supporting the population um, I, I, in terms of how the, the program is set up. Um, I, I wouldn't know the details, but um, as far as this application is concerned, your program remains your program. The focus of your recipients and your beneficiaries would simply just be the low income, the disproportionately impacted. So if you uh, were focusing the attention then on those, those residents of that meet those qualifying factors, um, you wouldn't necessarily, it doesn't sound like change other parts of your program. So that would be your, the only difference is your program remains your program. Your focus would just be on the low income, if that helps. All right, that's all we have, okay. Um, kind of going off of what that question was too, um, our funding criteria. So these funding dollars are not for any new programming. We want to support programming that is established and evidence-based. Um, we want to see a demonstration of successful outcomes as a result of the program and positive outcomes for the participants. So at a very base level, uh, eligible organizations will already have Virginia, uh, good standing with Virginia State Corporation Commission, proof of their nonprofit status, and then be, we're asked to provide the last three years of their IRS 990 forms and other financial documentation. So when it says an established evidence-based programs, um, some of you might be familiar with uh, certain like clearing houses that offer uh, evidence-based programming and interventions. Um, if you are using a program like that, that is, you would be mentioning that in your application. If you don't, aren't using an established program like that, but you know that you have uh, established and you have the data to show how successful your program has been, um, by all means, please give us that information. That's the data we want to see that just shows that your program has been so successful, um, not only in the past, but even through the pandemic, um, what you see that you have immediate response and long-term results. Um, so that's the kind of evidence we would like to see as well. Um, as along with that, to be considered for funding, our applicants should demonstrate um, and present a documented, um, documented data-driven COVID-19 public health economic impact. Um, what that would mean is that not, not only would you even show that there is a direct COVID correlation, that there are direct results in public health or economic impacts with your clients, um, but you can demonstrate that maybe the pre-existing disparities are what made that impact from the pandemic so severe. We want you to show your demonstrated outcomes for your program or service show that your program or service provides direct benefit to Loudoun residents, and that your program or service uh, targets Loudoun residents that were disproportionately impacted from COVID-19 and its negative economic impacts. 
and then show documented efforts that your organization secures funding from other sources as well. Demonstrate that your organization has administrative resources and you can implement and oversee the program or service and show existing or intended collaboration and partnerships with county agencies and other nonprofit organizations to develop sustainable solutions. Um, grantees would be asked to sign a certi uh, certification of receipt prior to payment, and then a funding that is requested should be realistic given the service level and that the um, as long as uh, seeking other funds that you are not pro predominantly relying on county grant funds for your program. So your data-driven use, um, data-driven meaning that you have um, ways of collecting this data and, and analyzing this data in the form of surveys, evaluation, case data, that sort of thing. Um, you can make strategic decisions based on that data either to improve or change your, your programming, your services. Um, all of that information is very helpful. For this grant opportunity, we're focusing our attention under emergency categories of service, which includes rental assistance. Um, that could be anything from the short-term rental support. Um, we also want to focus on support that provides tools, skills, strategies, and resources to help individuals and families become housing secure. Um, that could be you know, rental assistance, counseling, and legal aid to prevent eviction or homelessness. Um, food assistance would be providing nutritious and culturally appropriate emergency food service as part of a comprehensive strategy for individuals and families to regain self-sufficiency. Utility assistance, providing emergency utility assistance as part of a comprehensive strategy for individuals and families to regain self-sufficiency. Um, this could be anything uh, like household expenses related to ele like electricity, gas, water, sewer, even trash removal, um, energy costs. If you have clients that um, still purchase fuel oil for their heating, uh, mental health assistance would be providing support to affected residents in meeting their mental health and behavioral health needs with a focus on populations that have limited access to mental health services due to income or other factors. This could be even something uh, like home visits, uh, child welfare, uh, things like that. So this would be another area where we would want to see if there has been barriers in the past to um, that have made it difficult for any of your clients to seek out the help that they have needed. Um, and another instance where we can really rely on our partnerships throughout the county to, to find long lasting support. The other category is, is broad. Um, we do wanna offer another category for our partners that may not offer rental food, utility assistance. Um, we know that there are still other needs in the county that could be addressed. And based on the feedback from our nonprofit organizations, we know that there is still help up that is offered out there. Um, so if you do apply in the other category, um, we wanna kind of go back to Treasury's framework and identify the need that is there. So if you are able to demonstrate the you know, increased numbers that you are seeing through the pandemic, um, making that distinction of how the pandemic has affected these clients or the underlying factors that have made the impact of the pandemic so severe, 
and then how your program is designed to meet those needs on an emergency level and um, focusing on long-term solutions as well. In funding these programs, we are keeping our focus on the big picture as well. We want to provide direct assistance to our residents um, and we want to utilize as much as we can the resources that are available within this network of nonprofit organizations, county agencies um, to make sure that we are finding the most appropriate solutions for our, our clients and our residents. Um, the funding request should demonstrate effective interventions bringing residents out of emergencies, seeking long-term solutions, and include the process that you have to identify the factors that had contributed to the disproportionate impact that the pandemic had on a particular household. Um, this is another place where we wanna find those root causes. If we have an opportunity to address a need that has been there that has made the impact of the pandemic so severe, we would want to um, bring that to light and make sure that there are mechanisms in place to maybe um, not only help that family, but find solutions that would then help others. For Chris, oh, yes, Christine, I, I wonder if we can just pause right there for a second. Um, yes. I also want to just make sure that we talk through the previous slide, if you can go back. Um, I, I want to make sure that we stress that we are focusing on um, one application per um, per category, and so I can't stress that enough. If if your organization has multiple categories that they would qualify under, you will be required to submit separate applications. So uh, this is part of the reporting requirements under ARPA for a subrecipient. So we need to keep the expenditures separate. Uh, therefore, you can apply under rental assistance and have a budget for rental assistance. And if you also provide utility assistance, you would provide a separate application for utility assistance with a separate budget. Um, just I, I just want to make that crystal clear that um, that really we are focusing on the capacity of organizations to maintain those expenditures in the way that that the county has to report them to the federal government as a subrecipient. So um, I just wanted to to make sure that we bring that up and and answer any questions associated with that. Right now we have none in the chat, but we will be able to address those as as they come forward. Oh, and I see Maddie, I see your hand if you want to unmute yourself. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> I'm with an organization that would qualify for the three, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, so as the grant writer sitting here, that's a lot of work, obviously, to do three different applications. And a lot of our processes are related. So um, I guess my question would just be around, is there, is there's going to be a lot in separate applications that would overlap with other applications. And you're saying that's okay and that the financial piece is the emphasis that's different? Yeah, so if you have a holistic, um, a more comprehensive or holistic program, you can use the program components in the application and copy and paste where necessary. 
but we would see something like, um, for instance, your organization has food assistance that provides a very different service and a different service model than utility assistance. So we would want to see both of those models represented in those separate applications okay. um, and the budgets for both of those. Uh, that's one of the requirements for our federal funding is those expenditures um, sort of separated out. And therefore, you would get one award as the organization, but we would need to keep those expenditures separate. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions on that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Christine. No, no, not at all. I mean, that's a very good point because um, when it comes to reporting as a whole, um, our reporting would be by project. Uh, rental assistance being a totally different expenditure category than food assistance. Um, Treasury has expenditure categories broken down very detailed. So um, we would have to report expenses for a food assistance program that's different than the expenses for the rental assistance program. So yeah, that's where it gets to be a little, little more cumbersome in the reporting part of it, but we are here to help. Okay. Uh, I did this one. Okay, so when it comes to our expected outcomes, um, some of you may be familiar with the logic model. Um, we had used a logic model in the Toronto One grant program. Um, what a, a logic model is uh, kind of puts together a sequence um, to show how you're getting to your um, expected outcomes. What you would have is your inputs which is resources that you need to operate your program. You have your activities, um, which is the res uh, using those resources in your program, um, carrying out the program as you intended. Your outputs, uh, the number of services that you delivered, whether that's the number of clients you served, the number of sessions you had, um, just the way that you track your um, items, whether they be meals, um, that you assist with, that sort of thing. Um, your short-term outcomes, let's see, your short-term outcomes being ways in which your client will benefit uh, in an immediate sense. Um, that means helping this month with the rent and, and getting that need met. The client has found employment or found the childcare they need to, to maybe get back to work. Uh, your midterm outcomes would be um, a maybe six months, nine months down the road that you know that the client has been able to stay employed because maybe they've had sustained childcare or that they're able to stay in their home and they have uh, avoided any sort of eviction. Um, then your long-term, your post-ARPA emergency kind of long-term outcomes would show that the larger impact that say not only are we getting people back to work that maybe had some barriers in employment, um, we've seen more children prepared for kindergarten, we've seen um, just improved general mental health. So in seeing how it's responding in your own client, how that has kind of rippled through the community and been able to kind of provide healthy resources for more and more people in the community and then just helping to get people back on track. Uh, 
I can take a minute now. What I'm going to do is go through uh, application briefly so you know what to expect when you get in there. Um, if anyone, I don't know if you've all seen the grant opportunities page, there's a link right there for the grant application. Um, and then this is also where we'll be placing the recordings from these sessions and some additional help uh, for your application process. So I'm going to bring up location so we can see that. Um, the logic model you asked about? Um, Sorry, yes, I was just typing uh, okay. the response to that. <laughs> uh, so, so the logic model template will be associated with the reporting training. And so um, the expectation is that you know the outcomes for your program as you develop your application and we can work with you as an organization to put those into the logic model format. Uh, and and again, you know, we're really focusing on those capabilities for reporting. So um, as Christine walks through the application, please be aware that we are looking for hard data um, and really concrete um, statistics when it comes to the organization's capacity to report. So part of the logic model template will be part of that reporting training. Uh, first page of the application is just general organizational information, uh, name, legal name, address. Um, if you have a, a organizational address that is different, uh, maybe you have a centralized location, uh, provide both address for your main office and then the Loudoun address where you would be performing these services. Um, phone number, website, that sort of thing. Um, and then contact information, who we need to contact. If you have an alternate person um, that is official contact uh, versus just the application contact. And then uh, provide a brief one sentence overview of your request. Um, here you would indicate whether or not you are a new applicant, uh, meaning new in the sense that you did not receive um, or apply for funding in tranche one, uh, which is last year. Um, and then indicate whether or not you are collaborating with other organizations for this application. Um, because with this grant program, we will be funding fewer organizations so that we can have greater impact. Uh, we understand that might mean that some organizations are not going to get that funding. Um, but we want to also make sure that those who are given the award recognize that they would maybe need to uh, seek out those other organizations. We don't want to uh, 
um, leave anybody stranded because an organization did not receive funding through this program. Uh, we don't want any of our rental assistant clients to be left out because of geography. So in this sense, we want to know if your organization is going to be collaborating with any other organizations, um, if that's going to be directly through this application, or if you just know that because of your network that you already you know, work with other organizations for referrals. Um, so if you have a collaboration like that in place, you, know, you can mention that here. The next section would be just your programming questions. Um, here you would indicate which service you are applying for. Um, you can just select one and uh, this will filter out some of the budget information on the next page. So uh, like we talked about before, you would be doing one application per service. Um, so you'd indicate that here. Uh, if you are applying for financials uh, for the other category, um, you would indicate here that description of those services, just a real brief description, like the title of the program. Um, you'll be going to more detail later. Um, here is a link of Treasury has a tool to help you determine the low and moderate income for Loudoun County based on family size. Um, I know a lot of places might use um, maybe 30% area median income for a low income um, distinction. Treasury uses 40%. Um, so this will give you an idea of where to look for those breakdowns. Uh, this section, we want to hear about the continued negative impact of COVID and how that has played out for your res uh, your clients and the residents. Um, try to illustrate the continued need because of the pandemic itself, um, what you have seen in the last 12 months, um, and then using that data to tell us how you have recognized the existence of a continued impact of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic on your clients. Uh, next question you'd be talking about uh, a projection um, in the number of clients you anticipate. This could be based on what you've seen so far in the pandemic as it relates to maybe the numbers you saw prior to the pandemic um, and give us an idea of how many you see in the next year um, and then through the next um, 18 months after that. Um, these funds are used until the end of calendar year 2024, which means you would be using these funds for any expenses incurred up until the end of 2024. So uh, we will be asking for projections up until that uh, timeframe. And since these funds are being used for disproportionately impacted uh, residents, we want a little bit of information of um, your target demographic, um, whether this is a, a population that you intentionally seek out or if it's um, a demographic that you identify uh, with uh, new clients and just identifying their in information, um, talking just about how you reach your clients and, and who it is that you are seeking to help. Since these funds are not intended for new programs, uh, we want to make sure that you describe your program in detail with supporting data, um, illustrating the impact that your program has, including um, 
information related to the volumes that you have seen both um, uh, since the pandemic and what has been a greater request for need since the pandemic started. Um, talk about any of the operating costs used to support the program, whether that's staff salary, um, um, just basically a general idea of the operating costs. Uh, in this section, you talk about your evidence and your data that illustrates the effectiveness of your program, um, not only for the effectiveness of emergency services, but long-term success for your, res uh, your clients and the residents that you serve. So if you do coordinate with other nonprofits or county agencies, provide some data showing how these resources have contributed to a resident's long-term success. Um, if you are using a program that is considered evidence-based through an established clearinghouse, you can provide that information as well. Um, for those applying for mental health assistance, then um, please provide your professional licensure as well. Next question, you talk about how you calculated your projections um, for the number of clients you expect to serve between now and the end of 2024, um, how that differs from maybe pre-COVID or what the volumes that you've seen in the last two years. Um, describe those projections, um, even as they include referral services. So if you are receiving referrals from other organizations or county agencies and talk about the referrals that you pass along to other organizations or county agencies, um, whether or not your organization may have multiple programs, whether you, know, you may need to make referrals to other organizations as well. Um, identify whether they're unduplicated counts. Um, do you see the uh, you know, same clientele uh, month to month? Um, are you counting just new clients that have come in? Um, how are you maintaining records of um, anybody that is repeats through the month or repeats from other organizations? Um, how are those identified? And then here again, you'd want to go over your partnerships with other organization and county agencies um, because we know that there are so many underlying factors that may be involved for um, making sure our residents get back on the path to long-term recovery. It may be that you've uncovered some underlying disparities that need to be addressed as well. So how are you partnering with those organizations? Um, with rental assistance, for instance, are you using other legal aid services, um, housing networks, uh, financial counseling, that sort of thing? So what other tools and resources are being used in finding those long-term solutions? And then here you list your steps to promote long-term sustainability for your residents and then how your organization supports residents serve long-term and long-term sustainability even beyond 2024. So we know that these emergency, uh, these uh, pandemic rescue dollars are to be spent quickly. Um, they are short term. So we want to know what your plans are for beyond 2024 when we no longer have some of these relief funds to utilize. Uh, how are you maintaining sustainability not only for your organization, but for your residents in the long term? All right. And 
Christine, can we pause there? We do have, mm -hmm. I think, several questions. Yes. First, we will start with um, Melanie. When you ask if this is an application, or excuse me, when you ask if this application is in collaboration with other organizations, do you mean are we collaboratively applying for funding or will we collaborate with organizations in the course of service delivery? Um, the application would be and the grant award would be for one organization for the application. The collaboration would be in the administration of a um, programming. So understanding that if you're uh, receiving a grant award to provide rental assistance, um, we know that there may be some smaller organizations that would need to refer their clientele to your organization for that help. Um, there may not be that additional funding for another organization. So if you know that in a geographical area, you could help reach out to a wider geographical area and those nonprofits that are nearby and take in some of those requests that they receive, knowing that you now have the additional funding and resources to help in an emergency situation. That's the kind of collaboration that we would be looking for. The grant itself would be for the one organization, and then it would kind of be um, up to that collaboration in making sure that we are not missing any residents out there because of the um, more focused funding sources. Um, that's what we want to make sure with these collaborations. So we know that nobody is going to be missed. Great. And then we also have a couple of hands up. We'll go with Renee, then Maddie. And just unmute yourselves when you're ready. Um, first question is, in an organization that typically serves the most vulnerable in the community, how do we identify what is the growth just because it's normal growth versus what is growth because of the pandemic. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Are you just saying growth in terms of just the number of, of residents and requests for assistance? Correct. For example, we partner with Loudoun County Public Schools. So throughout this time, we've added more and more schools with more and more students that we're serving. So my my dilemma as a grant writer is how much is this just normal growth because more schools want services and how much of it is that the schools are like, oh my gosh, things are getting so bad. I need to reach out for us. You know what I'm saying? We, um, we collect lots of data as far as pounds of food given, amount of grocery gift card support, all that stuff. But we don't, and, and tons of testimonials from, from the schools, but we don't have we don't ask the schools to track every single student because we're not mm -hmm. privy to those students. They identify them. We're not privy to it. So I'm kind of in a dilemma there. So, yeah. Sorry, do you want to take this, Christine? Um, I was actually going to defer to you uh, in your research <laughs> expertise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think when you're partnering with the school system, the question of growth is, are they seeing more students on free reduced price lunch? Are they seeing more students who qualify for other services? 
Um, and are those the referrals that you're seeing in terms of growth? You don't need to know the names of the students, but you can gather that information from the schools. You can ask them for that information um, when and it comes course, to growth. And, and as you know, the statistics haven't been kept for the past couple of years because everybody's receiving free meals. So, I, so that data is old. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. And, and so, so I think there are a couple of ways that, especially those that are working with the schools, you can think about this. Um, you can you can triangulate your data with um, either specific income data from either the census or other um, organizations who keep data records on low and moderate income families in the areas of those schools. You can also um, focus on the, um, the proportion of meals that were given pre-pandemic and then are given in the pandemic and post-pandemic. So you can see the rise in the requests from different schools. So I think there are multiple ways you can illustrate it. Um, in terms of the data you have and the data that you can compare with census and other um, income data that are extant data sources. So, so we can just then assume that that differentiation is pandemic driven? Well, and again, we're looking at root causes. Mm -hmm. So if these families are requesting assistance and the families within these specific areas are requesting assistance and Christine, I'm going to throw this back to you, but you know, we are looking at those who are most vulnerable and I don't think the school system would say free for all. Everybody gets, you know, no. this food, <laughs> right? We, we know LCPS every, every school system is going to prioritize those students who need it the most. So yeah. when you think about it that way, we are talking about the vulnerable populations. Um, and so I think some assumption can be made that that we are seeing these increased needs um, as a result of underlying issues okay. that are exacerbated by the pandemic. Yes, so we are allowed to make those assumptions. OK, yes. that's, all, that's yes. all I wanted to know because I'm like, I don't know if I can show that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's hard when it's a when it's when it's a partnership with the schools because they do keep their data very um very close to the chest just for anonymity and 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 student privacy. So that makes that makes sense. Um so then we'll go to Maddie and then we have one more in the chat. I got distracted. That was such a good question and answer. <clears throat> I need to regroup, but I'm still confused at in the application the difference in those two questions that address our partnerships and collaborations in the community. There's one on the first page, collaborations with this application, and then there's a later question about partnerships in the community. Could you could you compare those? Uh, yes, so when the first question, the first time you see on the first page, if you are um, like currently collaborating for the purpose of this grant, um, say, while you are doing this application, you reach out to other organizations and saying, listen, we know that there's limited funds here for rent assistance. So 
can we make sure that the four, five, ten of us are working together to know that should one of us get the funding that we are still have a place to kind of funnel those residents that maybe my organization is tapped out and I know that you've received the grant award. Am I, can I pass and refer some of my clients onto you, um, knowing that there's additional funding there? Um, so that's what the collaboration would be strictly in the sense of that emergency service. The other side of it would be those relationships and networks that you have for those long-term solutions. So when you have your immediate needs of rent and as you're drilling down with your clients, you know that they struggle getting to work again because childcare needs or transportation or something. There's other just factors that have made it hard to get them back into a more sustainable um, financial um, situation. So when you're identifying those underlying factors, you know, okay, we can get to the root cause and get him away from emergency services by now reaching out to these other organizations that offer support for childcare or offer a, a means for transportation um, in that sense. So those would be the other kind of collaboration and networking in say, okay, you know what, you actually qualify for some county programs and let's get you on a long-term program with the county to um, get you back on track as opposed to an emergency service here. So that would be the other relationships and networking would be to utilize the resources that are out in the community that you maybe don't offer in your organization and you know that the solution is out there for for the resident and helping to make those connections for the resident as well. So that would be the difference between that first collaboration question and the other just um, long-term solution resourcing. That, that, that is perfect, yep. Thank okay, you. okay. And, and we do have just one more question in the chat. I, I went ahead and answered it in the chat, but I, I wanted to get it on the record as well. Um, Melanie asked, uh, what are the eligibility criteria for people to be served with this funding? And um, I just wanted to make note that we are focusing on the population in Loudoun County whose income is up to 65% of the county AMI, and Christine mentioned the specific numbers um, earlier in the presentation, and also those households who are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. So they may have these underlying factors that put them at risk to be disproportionately impacted. So these could be multiple risk factors. They could be children in the child welfare system. They could be um, uh, families or households who have been experiencing domestic violence or mental health issues. There are a number of underlying factors um, that could put these these households at risk for um, disproportional impacts. So we are looking at income up to 65%, but then also those who are disproportionately impacted by these other confounding factors.
Okay. Uh, I think I finished this page. Okay, I did. Okay. Um, after the programming questions, uh, you will go into more funding data. Um, you'll notice back on the programming questions that I just clicked rental assistance. Uh, what that means here in the funding request is that it kind of eliminates other um, budget information and just focuses on rental assistance programming. Um, what when we asked at the beginning of the application if you are a new applicant, um, if you have not requested funds for any of uh, the county's other ARPA um, funding program from last year, um, we ask that you provide information about some of the other pandemic funding that your organization may have received, um, whether that's um, through the CARES Act, through um, you know, PPP loans, things like that, just any other funding sources that you've received during the pandemic. Um, and then here you'll indicate the category that you are requesting funding for. Um, and then the total amount of the funding that you're requesting uh, specifically from the from this grant program. Um, this may or may not be different from the entire budget for your program, um, but what you wanna focus on here is breaking down the dollar amounts just related to the funding that you're requesting from the county. Um, and then here you'd want to do your estimates in two different sections from July to June of 2023, and then uh, July 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2024. This would kind of be based on your projections for the number of residents that you expect to serve in those timeframes. Um, so here you'll give us an idea of your, um, your costs by category uh, for program services, any salaries, supplies, equipments, things like that. Um, then you would want to describe the category of service um, in your uh, how you've determined these amounts. If you're requesting administrative and op operating expenses, um, describe expenses and salaries needed in terms of um, a percentage of FTE. Um, also mention whether or not your program utilizes the services of volunteers, because uh, we we'd like to know. Um, just the, the amount of resources that your organization uses to operate your program. Um, we know our volunteers are very important to us. Um, and then if you are requesting funds for administrative expenses, you uh, want to give us an idea of how your expenses were covered pre-COVID. Um, what were your administrative ex expenses um, how are they how are they being handled prior to the pandemic? I know the last couple of years um, a lot of organizations may have received funding through um, other relief uh, sort of funding. So um, prior to COVID and prior to those additional resources, um, how had your organization been covering your administrative expenses? And then here is another spot for um, a breakdown between program and administrative expenses for those two timeframes. And then uh, knowing that this goes through the end of 2024. Um, this should also then align with your sustainability plan um, that by the end of 2024, this um, these funds are covering the expenses up until the end of 2024 is how I'm supposed to say. Uh, so that should align with your projections for um, residents and your projections for your budgets. 
And last but not least is just your financial information. Here you're going to be putting up um, your last three years of IRS 990 forms, uh, your financial statements. If you do have an audit file, you can provide that. Otherwise, provide a financial statement and your balance sheet and um, provide what you have so far for 2022. And then statement of activities is the other required documentation and a statement of financial position. And then here you can talk about the changes you've experienced financially um, as a result of the pandemic, uh, a place for you to discuss uh, maybe decrease in donations. Um, if you've had to close any, um, maybe if you have multiple locations, if you've had to change the way you operate because of the financial differences in the last two years, um, if you've seen a greater increase in uh, resident services, uh, here you can just talk about how your how your financial position has changed because of the pandemic. And then here you can talk about any special considerations. If um, there is something you feel we need to know that is not illustrated clearly in some of your financial documentation, you can put that here. And there is another upload document uh, down here if you have any other documentation that would help illustrate. Um, required is your then, oopsie, uh, valid designation letter and your SEC document. And then uh, go ahead and sign as an authorized individual. You would just be typing your name in here and acting as a digital signature uh, and your contact email. And Christine, we do have one question. Uh, yes. Renee, if you want to unmute your line. In the description of the budget section, you mentioned um, other ARPA relief. Um, I'm assuming that this budget section, you want it to be specific to what is provided and outlined for Loudoun County only. Is that correct? Or no? Uh, was, I, I think I need you to repeat that. So, so in this section, do you want to see the full picture of an organization's budget and activities or only those specific to supporting Loudoun County? Um, just specific to the residents of Loudoun County you would be serving, okay. yes. And yes. with regard to that, if an organization received ARPA funding for support in another county, are you interested in knowing anything about that? That's a good question. Um, I think, yeah, I think we would because that show that illustrates the capability for reporting. Um, mm -hmm. And so we would want to know if you've received ARPA funding in another county and, um, you know, that that does help to demonstrate the capability or the capacity for reporting at a federal level. Thank you. We do have a couple of other questions in the chat. The first is, will you accept a screenshot for the SEC good standing? Have we uh, accepted that in the past? I, I think that's I think that's okay as long as it lists the date. Okay. Um, for the good standing, we do need to make sure that it is a good standing as of the date of application. 
Also, um, there's one other question. Uh, is this application for a two year budget, fiscal year 23 and 24? And what is the maximum amount of funding that can be requested each year? Uh, well, you would be asking for uh, one requested amount based on your projections for the next two years um, from July of 2022 to the end of December 2024. Um, that is when all expenses, expenses up until December 31st of 2024 are uh, covered. So we would want one funding request to, to be this total of your projections of your budget for those I guess 18, 30 months, I think, if my math is bad, but for that entire time frame. Um, so, yes, so we don't have a determination um, through the application process of the funding amounts to be awarded. That is all very dependent on the type, the requests that we receive, um, the funding request dollar amounts, and how that's weighted amongst the, all the areas of need. The total amount is uh, 2.5 million is the total program um, amount. That's all we have in the chat. Oh, it looks like someone is also typing a little something. Is there are there any other questions? Before we move on. Uh, one other question. Uh, are there specific zip codes that need to be prioritized uh, served by a program funded with ARPA dollars? So is there a specific area that we are focusing on? Um, not necessarily, uh, although we do have some data that indicates uh, the zip codes that um, are showing like lower income levels than others, um, even census tract within a particular zip code that might be lower than the others. Um, so we wouldn't necessarily say that we're focusing on a zip code, but we do have ways to identify those geographic regions that kind of fall into that low income category. Any other questions? Okay, I think we can continue. Thanks. All right, um, bring my PowerPoint back. Okay. So having gone through our application, um, now I'll just go through kind of a brief um, introduction to reporting requirements. Um, there will be more formal training as it relates to reporting um, when awards are announced. So um, this is by no means the extent of the, the training. That, um, I'm just going over at kind of high level. Uh, especially to illustrate the difference between uh, the way we reported for tranche one 
uh, and the way we're going to be reporting right now for this uh, grant program. Um, we have to provide Treasury with a quarterly expenditure report, and that will include um, project and program updates and expenditures for that current period and cumulative, and then also programmatic data and demographics. Um, when it comes to identifying the uh, residents that we are serving, uh, the Treasury portal literally asks us to click boxes to show who it is that we are targeting with this particular program or project. So that is where we will indicate that we are focusing our attention on low income households, uh, households in a particular census tract or households that were disproportionately impacted. Um, there are um, ways that we can identify our target population. So that's what we will be collecting from you as well to help us uh, in, in our reporting. Uh, so when you will be providing your quarterly report to us, uh, that's the information that you will provide as well as supporting documentation. Uh, on an annual uh, basis, we have to provide to Treasury a recovery plan performance report. Um, you are more than welcome to go out to the county's ARPA page where we have published our 2021 recovery plan and our 2022 performance report. Um, this is our longer narrative that uh, demonstrates how we are using our funds, um, how our efforts are uh, through these projects and programs uh, promote equitable outcomes and community engagement and our use of evidence as well as performance report that includes um, output and outcome measures. Um, so that is a much longer narrative and your information that you provide for us in the quarterly basis will also help inform that narrative in July of every year. So um, that's where the data comes into play and is very important in helping us illustrate the positive impacts that we are having through the use of these dollars. So the reporting requirements, as I said, with the quarterly reports, uh, it's on a calendar year basis. So uh, based on when we get these awards out, I expect that our first report due would be January 15th, uh, which would cover the period of July 1st, 2022, since we are allowing retroactive. So uh, costs that were incurred starting in Jan uh, July 1st, are covered, so you would report everything from that date to December 31st, 2022. And then after that, it would just be on a quarterly basis. And then you would also provide your supporting documentation and uh, your use of evidence or evaluation plan. Um, this is also included, um, like we talked about earlier, the, the logic model, that's where that would come into play in showing um, the performance um, throughout that quarterly period in terms of just kind of straight numbers, like who's been helped um, and how that has come, come out. Um, documentation to support your reporting. Um, your expenditures would be your expenses every month uh, by category and then your total for that quarter. Your copies of your invoices, receipts, and payroll, and then an explanation of those invoice and payroll calculations. And your demographics, so then your population that you're primarily serving, you'll be capturing um, demographic distribution by race, ethnicity, age, gender, income, um, and then 
uh, unduplicated residents. Um, this would be also more for our um, kind of project wrap up too. We want to know how we've been able to utilize our existing network. So uh, while we wouldn't be necessarily reporting this on a quarterly basis to Treasury, we do want to see at the end of this program how we've utilized our resources in the county to find those solutions for our residents. So in your network of um, referrals, either incoming or outgoing, um, using county agencies, that sort of thing. So that's something that you do still want to kind of keep a track of throughout this program. Um, they also will also be talking about evidence and evaluation, um, whether or not you're using a, an existing evidence-based intervention. Uh, there are ways to kind of validate the program that you're using. Um, if you are not using an evidence-based intervention, there are ways to capture data to at least illustrate um, the support of your conclusions uh, that your program is effective. Um, a lot of it is um, following up with residents on a regular basis, measuring the outcomes over time and either their satisfaction with the program and then the results as time goes on. That is actually where I'm wrapped up on the reporting. That is a quick high level reporting and there will be a far more training when it comes to um, introducing you to the template. We have a reporting template for the quarter reporting. So that will be um, introduced in our training for reporting. So um, we'll teach you how to use that and how to provide data for our reporting purposes. So if there are more questions, we can have questions. So if there are questions, please enter them into the chat or uh, raise your hand. OK, I see a few hands being raised. It looks like um, Renee, do you have a question? And then we'll go to Carrie. No, Renee doesn't have. OK, Carrie, we'll go with you. Thank you. Uh, last in the first tranche of applications, um, the selection process, I know it was super competitive, but um, there was an opportunity to fund more organizations with less funding. Am I correct in repeating what you said earlier that you're going to fund fewer organizations at greater amounts this year or yes? OK, That's so correct, there yes. wouldn't necessarily be the opportunity. Would you at all consider partial funding of any? Will partial funding be considered based on the requests that are submitted? Partial funding will be considered um, just because we have such a small budget. But I will say what we are looking for are organizations that can act as a subrecipient to um, to the county and have the capacity to report for the federal government reporting. Um, if, if organizations don't feel like they have that capacity, then what we are requesting is that they work um, with other organizations as a referral so that everyone, every resident still has access to services regardless of the door they enter. But um, we are looking at those who have the capacity for federal reporting. Yes. Great. And there's no. Um, there wouldn't be any plus or minus if we did or did not apply to the first round. Is that nope. correct? OK, that's correct. 
clean slate. Yep. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Other questions? All right. It looks like Melanie has a question. The application requests are year to date 2020 fine or excuse me, 2022 financial statements. We are currently in our fiscal year 23. Should we submit our year to date fiscal year 23 financial statements? And how does this differ from 2022 total organizational budget statement of activities and statement of financial position? And so I think the the question would relate to um, what we would want to see is the year-to-date financial statements. So legally, um, if an organization sees $750,000 in their budget or more, they have an audit um, requirement. Uh, if they, if you as an organization do not meet that requirement, we would just want to see financial statements for the fiscal year. So what we are saying is whatever is the latest financial statement that you have, that's the one we want to see. So fiscal year 23, if you're already in fiscal year 23, we would want to see those financial statements. And so the total organizational budget and statement of activities would be different from the financial statements in that you may not have had all expenditures expended or encumbered at that point. So um, we would want to see the organizational budget and then your statement of financial activities because they may look different. Um, so what we want to see is your financial position, but then also what you're planning on budgeting. So uh, those would be two separate documents. I hope that answers the question. And if not, Melanie, please unmute yourself and we can um, we can get to, to those questions um, more directly. OK, it looks like that answered the question. Are there other questions? Right. Well, with that, we just want to thank you um, for participating in the in the training and also just for your consideration to be a part of the Loudoun County ARPA nonprofit process. Uh, and please let us know if you have additional questions. Reach out on nonprofits at Loudoun.gov. We are happy to answer these questions. We will also be posting the frequently asked questions as well as um, the the recordings from the training yesterday and today and we just thank you for your consideration and all you do for our community we really appreciate it and we appreciate your partnership thanks everyone have a great day